My goodness gracious, that will certainly get you in a worshipful attitude if you weren't already. Thank you so much, choir. A wonderful, wonderful job. Well, welcome to First Baptist Church, Sun City West. We are so glad that you're here. And if this is your first time being here, if you've never filled out one of our guest cards, we'd love for you to do that this morning. There are cards in the pew in front of you. If you wouldn't mind filling those out and just drop in one of the offering boxes when you leave, we would certainly appreciate that. We have a cheering section right here with Cairo. Cairo is a, what, a five-month-old, I believe, right? Six months, six months, okay. Right on the front row where every one of us ought to be. <laughs> uh, we were able to spend time with our grandkids this weekend and able to hold a, a four-month-old, and uh, now to see a six-month-old, that's going to be great. We'd love to see that vitality and to see them in church, absolutely. But I tell you what, let's pray together. And then let's continue our time of worship by hearing, by listening, and letting God speak to us. Father, thank you so much for the day, for the opportunity that you've given us. We certainly love the time that we gather together as a church family and enjoy this time of celebration, of music. Enjoy your presence, God. And I pray that we have prepared ourselves in our mind and our heart and our soul. As we sing, as we listen, help us, God, to remember the words of the songs. And help us to make them ours from the depths of our heart as we lift up that aroma of praise to you. And Father, as we focus our attention on Jeremiah today, I ask that you would give us quite the discernment about the indestructibility of your word. Help us to hold it close to us, Father. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.
would you stand as we sing? In Christ alone, my hope is found. Let's sing. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are still, when striking cease, my comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. In Christ alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God in helpless faith, this gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones he came to save, till all that Bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again. And as he stands in victory, since curse has lost its grip on me, for I am his and he is mine, bought with the precious blood.
Will you pray with me? Our Holy Father, God, we are so grateful that you do make all things beautiful in your time. And Lord, we thank you this morning for the beauty that we have experienced already just from being here in your house. Lord, the beauty of the bells and of the voices raised to you in praise. We thank you, Father. God, I pray for each one of us right now that you would still our minds and our hearts. Calm us, Father. Lord, help our focus to be entirely upon you as we worship you this day. God, you are so worthy of our worship and our love, and we thank you for all the blessings that you give to us. Father, as we look at our world and our nation, Father, we could become discouraged. But God, for those of us in this nation who are your people, we have the opportunity, and God, we are the light. We need to shine our light, Father, so that others can see, God, that we might do it in love. Lord, that we not be a part of the division and the rancor and the anger that is part of our nation today. Lord, I know it makes us all sad, but we as your people have the opportunity to change that through our prayer, through our love for you, through our love especially for others, God, that we would be willing to speak up for you and to tell them, Father, of your love and the salvation of your great son. So, Lord, would you be with us now as we continue this service? God, we pray also, first of all, for those in Morocco. God, for the earthquake there, for the loved ones who have been lost, Lord, and for the, especially the, the organizations that are on the ground trying to help, Father. And God, that the organizations that are religious, Lord, and those that are coming in your name and offering your love and your help and your comfort and your strength. God, we just pray for all of them that they might be able to help others, Lord, and to bring others to you through a time of tragedy. Father, we love you so much. God, we're grateful for the opportunity to worship you. And we praise you and thank you for who you are. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. In the 85th Psalm, verse 6, we read these words. Will you not revive us again so that your people may rejoice in you? An old, old hymn, Hallelujah, thine the glory, revive us again. Praise, read, and praise. 
another older hymn, Lord, send a revival, but let it begin in me. Our scripture reading for this morning is from Jeremiah chapter 36, verses 1 through 7. Please follow along on the screen as we share these verses. In the fourth year of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, this word came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Take a scroll and write on it all the words I have spoken to you concerning Israel, Judah, and all the other nations from the time I began speaking to you in the reign of Josiah till now. Perhaps when the people of Judah hear about every disaster I plan to inflict on them, they will each turn from their wicked ways. Then I will forgive their wickedness and their sin. So Jeremiah called Baruch, son of Neriah, and while Jeremiah dictated all the words the Lord had spoken to him, Baruch wrote them on the scroll. Then Jeremiah told Baruch, I am restricted. I am not allowed to go to the Lord's temple. So you go to the house of the Lord on a day of fasting and read to the people from the scroll the words of the Lord that you wrote as I dictated. Read them to all the people of Judah who come in from their towns. Perhaps they will bring their petition before the Lord and will each turn from their wicked ways. For the anger and wrath 
pronounced against this people by the Lord are great. We are uplifted by the sharing of this scripture, for these are the words of the Lord. so much, Beverly. If you join me in prayer, please. Father, we have heard not only from your prophets, but from our soloist, the very key to revival and spiritual awakening. In the midst of a darkness and a dark land, he is the light. And you are the one that can bring that light. 
and you desire for your people to pray, and you desire for your people to hear your word, and to be awakened and engaged and growing. And so I pray that this morning as we look at this passage in Jeremiah, that we come to a stark understanding of the choices that we have to make. And most importantly, that we understand that your word will always be, and it needs to be lived out in our lives. So give us that insight this morning. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Probably heard of a few things that uh, they advertise as being indestructible. The Titanic and Britannic were said they were going to be unsinkable, not being able to be destroyed. Porsche said that the Panzer VIII Manus that was being prepared for World War II would not be able to be destroyed. They just never could get an engine large enough to move that kind of tonnage. <laughs> There's all kinds of armor that they make these days for people that go into battle and say they're indestructible, but the realities are they all have weaknesses. CDs, they say, are indestructible. Getting into a CD, I think, might be the biggest issue. <laughs> but they're not indestructible. Voltaire, the noted French infidel from the 18th century, he made his attempt to destroy the Bible. He boldly made the prediction that within 100 years, that both the Bible and Christianity would be dead. It would be an oblivion, dark rooms somewhere. But his efforts and his bold uh, prophecy failed. And within a hundred years, the very printing press that this infidel used to print his literature was printing Bibles. The very house that he lived in a hundred years later was used to house Bibles by the Geneva Bible Society. <laughs> Voltaire and all his cohorts had miserably failed in trying to destroy, discourage the word of God and the faith of believers. So why do we have the words of the Bible? We think about this time, you know, sometimes, and we, we look at this, and we say, well, these, this is the Bible. These are the collection of God's words, and they are. As Baptists, we're called the people of the book. Well, this is the book. But there's a fine line between worshiping the book and worshiping the God who spoke these words. We come to a place in an understanding that 
God has taken the task to see that his word will not be destroyed. Jehoiakim, who is that vile puppet king, sought to destroy the message of the messenger in Jeremiah 36. God had told Jeremiah, here's what I'm going to say to you, and I want you, through his, uh, through his, uh, his uh, scribe, to go out and to enter the temple and other places, begin to communicate what God's word said, because there was a great need for revival in Judah. There was a great need for God's movement, but the people, they were indifferent, and they were about to be in great harm. And so, instead, the king looked at the situation. And he thought to himself, I'm the one who will make the decisions. Because it's going to be my way, or as such, the highway. <laughs> the word of God always has been under threat of destruction. Critics without and within the church both in the realm of a political nature, religious nature, have assaulted through the centuries the word of God, and yet that word of God continues to stand. And it will forever. Because it is the word of God. It's just not writings on a page. It's the very word of God that was written down. But his words are eternal because he is eternal. The Bible as we see, as it is the word of God, is indestructible. Jeremiah 36 presents these changeless truths about the eternal preservation of God's word. And so I want us to look at just four, four points, four things, teachings, lessons that we can gather out of this chapter. First is the revelation of the word of God. Here we find in the text of uh, not only verses 1 through 7, but the entire text of the chapter, that it leaves no room for doubt concerning the absolute divine inspiration of Jeremiah's prophecy. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. These aren't Jeremiah's thoughts saying, well, you know what, I think this is the best thing for our country. I'm talking about Judah. These are the things that need to happen. I think this strategy will work. But these words came from God. And he said, I want you to write them down because I want you to communicate them to all of the people because there is danger just over the horizon. He said in verse 2, take a scroll and write on it all, all the words I have spoken to you. We find the text clearly teaches that God reveals himself to men and women as we look at scripture. And those are recorded, those words. And those words, once recorded, are the object of divine protection forever. So we don't worship this book because there's going to come a time where it's going to be worn out and we're going to have to dispose of it. But the word of God will always be. Do you follow what I'm saying? 
You can have it on your phone. You can have it on your iPad. You can have it wherever you want, but it's the Word of God. And that's the key. Scripture says in verse 4, Jeremiah dictated all the words the Lord had spoken to him. So he gave it to his scribe. Baruch wrote them down. It's the revelation of what God was about to accomplish and do. Communicated to the people of Judah. The question is, would they listen or not? So he goes from the, the revelation of the word of God to the reaction to the word of God. In this passage in Jeremiah 36, it, it is a timeless demonstration of people's reaction to God's word. The word was spoken to them in a time of peril. In fact, the armies of Babylon were literally at their doorstep. You could see the enemy. You could understand the immense army and the pressure bearing down. But some people are oblivious. The chapter records three times, three times a proclamation in one day that was given. Here is the judgment. Here's what's going to happen if you don't turn. And here, God is giving this wonderful idea of grace with his arms open wide, saying, I will forgive. I will forgive their sin if they will just turn to me. It's quite the reaction. Because there was a group of people that were totally indifferent. When the common people heard what Baruch was saying, what he had written down, that God spoke to Jeremiah, and Jeremiah dictated it, and he went out to the temple and other places for all the folks not only there, but that were coming from out of town, and he would communicate that and read that. This is what's going to happen. If you don't turn. Now, you think about folks coming from out of town. Somehow they would have probably seen the Babylonian army. It's just right there. But they didn't see the danger. They, they did not understand the magnitude of what was right in front of them. And so they saw no reason to change. These words don't apply to us. Now you're talking about the people of God here, right? The Israelites, the people of God. And, and so there are some who are thinking, well, that doesn't apply to me. I'm, I'm trying to live a good life. And there might be some here today that you're hearing the word of God as we speak it, as we talk about it, as we try to communicate it to you. You might say, oh, well, that doesn't apply to me. That applies to somebody else. Because I, I'm trying to do my best. I do good things. And so I, I really don't need to, to hear this message that God has given. And then there's another group of people that fall under conviction. They heard the word. They understood what Baruch was saying, this message from God. 
and they were alarmed, concerned, a desire to say, okay, we're about to be under siege again. There's something that's got to change. And there was this conviction that I have to do my part in living the way God wants me to live. And there are some here today that that's going to be your reaction to this. Is that, you know what? God spoke to me today, and, and here's some adjustments I might need to make. Might need to make a little more effort to get into God's Word and really understand it and apply it to my life. Then there was the angry rejection. Here, the king had heard the word and his response was anger. How dare Jeremiah try to come against my authority? And so what did he do? He took a pen knife, he shredded the scroll, and then he threw it in the fire until it was burned up. I haven't had that many people over the years that when I focused and preached on the Word of God that they got up and walked out in anger. But I have had some. And when I would connect with them later on in the week, I said, I, I just don't believe what that scripture says. And I, I just, I can't do that. I'm not going to do that. Angry rejection. I think one evidence of the Bible's inspiration is that it contains within itself the timeless reaction of people to the words of God. You look at every single person that is confronted by the word of God in the scripture, you can see what their reactions are. They preserve those because they're just like ours in the day to day. And so you have in this passage, a revelation of the Word of God, you, you have caught in the frozen time the reaction to the Word of God that we have to pay attention to. And third, we find that there's the rejection of the Word of God. You see, men seek to destroy the Word of God by physical destruction. In Jeremiah chapter 36, verse 23, halfway down, it says, the king cut them off with the scribe's knife and threw them into the fire pot until the entire scroll was burned up. Here we find that, uh, that uh, Jehoiakim was seated and there was this, this uh, bed of hot coals in his winter palace. And so he cuts up the word of God. He doesn't want anything to do about it. He thinks if I just cut it up and I burn it, it does not exist anymore. It does not apply to me anymore. If I just disregard it, for some people, they have Bibles in their homes, but they have a lot of dust on them. They think, well, if there's enough dust, it, I, it just means I won't have to deal with it. Over the centuries, there have been various attempts to eradicate God's word. The reign of Antiochus Epiphanes the Hellenistic Greek king 
of the Seleucid Empire. About 175 to 164 BC is when he reigned. The Jewish historian Josephus describes um, his invasion of Jerusalem, and here's what he writes. If there were any sacred book of the law found, it was destroyed. And those with whom they were found miserably perished also. These leaders rise up. They'll do everything they can to destroy God's word and those who follow the word of God. Roman Emperor Diocletian, who reigned from 284 to 305 AD, hated and persecuted Christians. It was documented by Eusebius of Caesarea, a Greek historian, and here's what he wrote. It was in the 19th year of the reign of Diocletian, when the feast of the Savior's passion was near at hand, that royal edicts were published everywhere, commanding that the churches be leveled to the ground and the scriptures be destroyed by fire. Such was the first edict against us, but not long after that, other decrees were issued. The desire to eradicate any influence of Christians or the Word of God. Well, it was Constantine that came after him, who came evidently from historical documents to be a follower of Christ. And Christianity became in vogue. It was the in thing. Right or wrong on how the methods were, but it is interesting how things turned and changed. And God smiles. In the 16th century, copies of William Tyndale's translation of the New Testament were smuggled into Great Britain because only the Latin was allowed. Only the priest could communicate and read the word and communicate it to the people. But these were seized. Everywhere they could find them, they were seized and they were burned by orders of the church. It seems like that ever so often there is this history of King Jehoiakim repeating itself, that God's word is consigned, thrown into the flames, and yet it survives. It is indestructible. Why? Because the paper might burn. The scrolls might burn. The apps might be deleted. But it's the word of God that is forever. Men also seek to destroy the word of God through spiritual disregard. Some try to destroy it by fire. But there's another knife at work, a pen knife, the critic's knife. One part of the Bible after another is cut out as if, as if it weren't true because they believe that it is inauthentic or untrue. One of the most famous is um, Thomas Jefferson's New Testament. 
to go to it, he would take a knife and he cut out so many different things in regard to, to Christ, miracles in particular. But there are others too. All through the years there have been those who have said, you know what, I like this part of the Bible, but I don't like this part of the Bible. So I really don't deal with it. <laughs> well, how can you do that? It's all the Word of God. Some look at it like a, like a, a great buffet. They go through it and say, well, I'll, I'll take this part, and I'll take this part, and this part, and this part, and this part. And now, me being the judge of what's the best part, now I can live my life by this. And so what you've done is you've actually made yourself God in your mind. Because I become the judge of what is God's word and what is not. And you know what? I don't think I could do that because I'm not smart enough. So spiritual disregard. I, I, I see what it says in the scriptures. I just, I just can't do that. I can't buy it. And yes, we understand scribal interpretation. We understand that there are minor things when they're talking about the same event and we have two different writers looking at it. It's two different perspectives. But absolutely nothing that changes the understanding and the value and, what, and communicates what the Word of God says to us. So the scripture says in verse 24, the king and all of his attendants who heard all these words showed no fear, nor did they tear their clothes. Here, even those surrounding the king, those who were Israelites, Jews, those, those who were thought to have followed Yahweh, when Baruch communicated the word of God to them, it didn't bother them. I can just imagine them laughing it off. There was no fear. There was no tearing of the clothes, meaning complete forgiveness. Committing yourself to say, I, I have sinned. I, I am tearing this because I realize my sin and I want that forgiveness. And they laughed it off. And when we read the word of God, sometimes, sometimes we don't just eliminate it and say well we, I'll cut that part out because I don't like it sometimes we read it we say man I believe that you just don't apply it to your life you disregard it every one of us have the capability of doing that because we'll read in our devotion time or even in our deeper Bible study time and as we read through we we understand what the, the scripture is saying we understand what the Spirit of God is saying to us but we don't make the decision to actually internalize it. To say, how, how can I live this out in my life? And that, in a sense, is a spiritual disregard. The Bible, even with these kinds of critics or these kinds of attitudes or actions or non-actions the Bible continues to survive God continues to 
preserve his word. Every endeavor to destroy it has been defeated. And we find that it is in our hands intact. And we live in a generation that have the scriptures in so many different versions where it can speak to us. Valid translations of scholars that have worked tirelessly together to try to bring it into the language of the people around this world so that that living word can not only be understood but lived out. God has this. He has preserved it for us. But you know what? We could be guilty of using the penknife of disregard because it could be something that we choose to believe some passages and not others could be this idea and understanding that we follow some radical criticism wherever it might lead, even to the point of, of, uh, of our own interpretation that is biased on something that we have preconceived in our minds about what this should be. And we try to figure out some proof text into the scripture to validate that. Where in reality, what we ought to do is come as a blank slate, and we ought to come to the word of God with the Holy Spirit speaking to us. And yes, with all the research tools that are available, using those to let God unlock and open what his word says so that we might truly live it out. That's what he has preserved it for, for you and me to make a difference in our lives so that we can make a difference in the lives of others. We also find that through the course of history that men seek to destroy the word of God by the destruction of the messengers. In verse 26, the scripture says that the king commanded to arrest Baruch the scribe and Jeremiah the prophet. He was so mad. <laughs> Burning the scriptures weren't enough. He wanted to burn the messenger. He wanted to get them out of the way. You know, from the, the days of Jeremiah and Baruch to this very day, there have been Dozens and dozens and dozens of men and women who have given their lives because they lived out the word of God in a place that was dangerous and didn't want anything to do with it and were martyred. There's a couple of, couple of books, volumes one and two out of, of uh, Fox's book of, Mar of Martyrs, if you've ever read those. It is amazing through history, believers who have lived out the word and understood that whatever it takes, I'm going to hold on to this. But you know those that have angry reactions to the word of God, the conviction is so deep, the best thing to do is eliminate the word and eliminate the messenger and then it's gone. But is it really gone? Because that tactic all the way through history has shown that it's a doomed tactic. It doesn't work. The word and the messengers continue to come. People like you and me. We continue to say, yes, this is what the word of God says. Therefore, we're going to live it out the way that he desires us to. We're going to communicate his word because it's his word. 
be the light because he didn't just give that to Jeremiah, he gave it to you and me. He said, go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in, in one of his parables, speaking about the very issue of, of striving to communicate the hope and the light. He said, go and make disciples. He tells us to go and do that, to communicate his word. We ourselves are communicators, like Jeremiah. And yes, we'll come up against some critics. We'll come up against some angry reactions. We'll come up against those who are indifferent. But we will also come up with those who find conviction and says, yes, this is what I need. This is exactly what I was hoping for. Let me briefly talk about the fourth one, which is the renewal of the word of God. The renewal of the word of God is divinely assured. In verse 28, it says, Take another scroll and write on it all the words that were on the first scroll, which Jehoiakim, king of Judah, burned up. So immediately after Jehoiakim set fire to the scroll, God said to Jeremiah, write a second scroll. Oh, you mean that first scroll wasn't so sacred that it's burned up and now we have nothing to worship? It was a scroll because the word of God is forever. It's his words. And so he writes down the words and, and uh, we find that, uh, that it was renewed, continued. If you remember, Moses was so angry when he came down to the people with the Ten Commandments because they had this golden calf that he threw the, the tablets and they broke. And so the ones that God wrote on were gone. And Moses had then to put the Ten Commandments back on tablets. But they were renewed because it's the word of God. It wasn't the tablet. These are the words of God. Something really for us to hold on to, but we find that the renewal of the Word of God is divinely assured, and secondly, the renewal of the Word of God is divinely enhanced. Notice what, uh, what he says here. He renewed it and even enlarged it, made it fuller. Verse 31 says, I will punish him and his children and his attendants for their wickedness. I will bring on them and those living in Jerusalem and all the people of Judah every disaster I pronounced against them because they have not listened. These were the people of God. They weren't listening. This, this second go-round when he's writing this scroll, God's saying, let me, let me give an, an addition here. It's, it's an addition. And it's not pretty. And he mentions not only the king, but his attendants who had no fear, showed no remorse. So God will do to Jehoiakim what the king did to the word of God. When God's words came to Jeremiah the second time, verse 32, it says, and many similar words were added to them. You can try in every way to disregard, ignore, or destroy the word of God, but his words 
are forever. And they continue to be fuller and to be larger, to have a content of understanding. He promises that they are divinely assured and divinely enhanced, meaning they are sharp, like a two-edged sword. Far from diminishing the word of God, we find that the rage of Jehoiakim here gave occasion for even more communication oracles from God to be preserved. Like embers spread, seeking to quench the flame by striking the word of God, but the reality is that it only burns more brightly in more places than it did before. Back when when there was such persecution in Korea and the Christians were had to go underground I'll never forget reading about one believer when somebody asked him well how do you continue on he said well we're like nails the harder you hit us the deeper we go <laughs> meaning we go deeper in the word and we might have to hide but we are focused because we hold to the word of God so God places a high value on his word he preserves it it is indestructible his great enemy Satan has hated it he hated it being written he hated it being put together he hated it being translated and printed and sent to every part of the world he hates that because what he wants is darkness. What is being communicated by God is light and hope. <coughs> In all kinds of ways, he's attempted to destroy it. But he hasn't succeeded, and he will never, ever succeed it. Because the word of God is indestructible. Because it's his word. The one who spoke creation into existence his word is forever. And so the real question is this. Are you paying attention to his word? And maybe a second. Is his word making a difference in your life? Are you on just status quo in this season of life? As you're reading this word and studying, are there new nuggets that are just coming up and says, wow, okay, I hadn't seen that before. This is exciting. How can I apply this to my life? If you do that, it'll make your life so much easier and better. Not easier that you won't have difficulties, but easily easier working through them. Father, as we come to our time of invitation, it's simply a question and a statement. We understand by this passage that your word is indestructible and you will preserve it forever because you spoke it into existence. It's from your heart. And so we don't have to worry about it being destroyed. question is are we taking your eternal word and we are taking it to heart and in depth and are we asking you to show us through the power of your spirit of how to live your words out in our life and are we actually putting them into practice
so that we're walking with you and we're holding to compassionate care to others and we're communicating his word of light and hope to those in darkness. And God, whatever decisions we need to make today focused upon that invitation, I pray you will speak to them, each one of us, and help us to make that decision where we're sitting right now, our Father, during this time of invitation. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Please stand for our invitation. good to be back with you. I deeply appreciate Dr. Horniker uh, and his message this past Sunday. Thank you, Dr. Horniker. We appreciate that. Um, and the, the, uh, the value of everything that he said. I hope you've applied it to your life this week. I do want to, uh, before I turn it over to Miss Nancy, I want to draw your attention to the, the insert, one of the inserts in your bulletin, which is the topical studies. They begin this Wednesday at 4 o'clock. They go from 4 to 5, 5.15 right in there. There are four topical studies that we would like uh, to invite you to be a part of. Um, they will help you in your daily walk. Um, the Baptist faith and message, basically what we believe, who, who we are as Baptists. Um, this is a great time to look at our, our overall understanding of, uh, of our beliefs, the doctrines. And so we're gonna take about six weeks. We're gonna go through all of our doctrines and we'll have some great discussions. So if you're interested, in learning more about uh, what we believe as uh, in our big tent as Southern Baptists, and please, if you'll uh, be involved in that. Um, tell someone, sharing the good news, and I know uh, Reverend Murray is going to be uh, leading that group, and uh, I, I can't tell you how many people in our congregation have asked me over the last few years, you know what, I really know I need to share the gospel, I'm just not sure how to get started. I, I don't know quite how to communicate and to begin that conversation or to build that relationship so that there's a time when I can share the good news of Christ. And, and then I'm not sure about the content. Well, I'll tell you, in the six weeks, uh, 
uh, Steve is going to help you to do that, very practical. And so if, uh, if there's ever been a time that you say, you know what, I would like somebody just to help me to start that conversation and to build that relationship so that I might share Christ. This is a, uh, this is a, a, a small group that I think would be great here at the church uh, starting this Wednesday. The discovery class, who we are and what we do, uh, Nancy Jakes and David Jakes are going to be leading that. Uh, that class is designed for, uh, for people that are looking at our church uh, that might be interested in joining or our new members. Of course, anybody can come. Uh, it's six weeks. And you'll get more in that six weeks about everything about our church, everything that we do, our policies, ministries, uh, doctrine, what, whatever it is, in those six weeks, you're going to get more than probably if you came to a Sunday morning service for two years. That's always been my thought pattern because there's a lot of ground to cover, but man, it is the most informative. We've had so many good reviews. So if you, if you want to be engaged in that, learn more about our church, that would be a way to do that. And the last one is it's not supposed to be that way. And uh, that's for ladies only. Uh, Sherry Kerr is going to be leading uh, that study. Um, Sometimes we believe that if we're living right and if we have Christ in our life and we're doing our daily Bible study and we're doing all the things right, that everything should be smooth and nothing could be farther from the truth. So when things happen in our lives that we, we, should, we say sometimes, well, okay, God, listen, I, I'm trying to live for you. Why, why are these obstacles there? That's what is going to be addressed in this over the six weeks. It's not supposed to be this way, but how can we turn that to get an understanding about what God means and what God's striving to do. So I hope that you'll sign up for one of these. We have sign-up sheets on both uh, lobbies, and if you would <coughs> sign up, that would help us. If you forget to sign up today, just show up on Wednesday at 4 o'clock, and uh, we will accommodate you because we want you to be engaged in this very important discipling process. Ms. Nancy? The other insert in today's bulletin has to do with the Arizona Mission Offering. If you were here on Wednesday night for Partners on Mission, you heard Dr. David Johnson share some specifics of what that offering will go toward. One of which is Kristen Challenge, helping the 500,000 students, college students in our state, and then disaster relief. And we have a team who is waiting to be uh, sent to Maui to help there. They have been helping in Guam most recently. But I encourage you to take this flyer and continue praying what God would have you to give toward that. You'll see on the back of the bulletin our church goal and the amount that has been received today. Tomorrow at 12 noon, ladies, there will be a fellowship luncheon for you. Bring your lunch and just enjoy the fellowship. And I want to thank the decorating team. We have Debbie Crump and Susie Van, who are co-team leaders and others came to help on Thursday to put out the fall decorations. I personally like fall colors, but the cactus in our area just don't do it. So I appreciate so very much all of the work that they did, and I think that we owe them a debt of gratitude. You'll see also there's a sign-up sheet in both lobbies for the movie lunch, which will be coming up on the 28th. Would you stand again as we have our closing prayer led by Karen Lackey. Hmm. Pray with me, Lord. 
This has been a breath of fresh air, Lord, this morning. Yes, we need a revival, each one of us. In our hearts, let us search and clean up our hearts. In Jesus' name, I pray that you will go and be safe today. God bless you all.